um, in the Evangelical Covenant Church. Um, Kevin and Linda have been married for 45 years, and they've been raised their two children in South America, um, where they serve Mission Aviation Fellowship. After 28 years with that ministry, he did a career change, and he went to pastoral ministry, and he's been serving in various ECC um, churches in the past 11 years. Um, Linda is a spiritual director, and she's involved in heavily involved in ministry to women serving God overseas. Um, so we're just so thankful, Kevin. And oh, and I think I wanted to mention one more thing. His last name is Swanson, and so those of you who do, do know David Swanson, that he they are related. Uh, <laughs> David is um, uh, Kevin's son, um, and he has you have two children. So um, thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us this morning. Let's just give him a warm welcome. Ruth, good morning. Good morning, community. Good to be with you today. Thank you uh, for that, Ruth. That's actually uh, the second time this morning already that I have been impressed uh, once again of the need for community uh, as we gather together as children of God. I had church out in the parking lot with a couple of floor layers this morning, and we agreed together that we have been given access to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the people of God. And if we look at being together with the people of God as a bolt-on or something that's optional, we are missing out significantly. And so what is being presented uh, to you as a congregation here, a new emphasis, I highly affirm and uh, would just add my word of of, of encouragement to you to take part in this. Don't, don't be a 50% church, you know, be a 95% church of people that are getting involved in micro groups and life groups. Uh, it is great to be back with you today. Um, your pastor uh, has been a friend of ours for over a decade. Uh, apart from my wife, I have probably spent more time in coffee shops with your pastor than any other single person, even though I'm not a coffee drinker. Uh, but whether it's here in Chicago or in New Jersey or wherever we happen to be, uh, we have ended up in coffee shops sharing life together, being an encouragement to one another, and it is a joy to be back with you uh, today. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture today uh, in possibly a slightly new light for some of you. I know it has been for me as I have prepared this message. And I would just encourage you to be open to where God may be leading you or what God, God might be wanting to reveal to you from this passage of Scripture. If you disagree with something I say, that's per perfectly fine as long as it drives you back into the Word and you look at it for yourself and say, huh, maybe that guy was right. Um, Jesus was presented to me uh, years and years ago as the master teacher but also as the master storyteller. And if we think about the time uh, when Jesus was uh, ministering on this earth, uh, most people were not literate. And so the telling of stories became a primary means of communication, and Jesus was indeed the master storyteller. For those of us that are familiar with the, the Gospels, the four accounts of the life of Jesus, we find that Jesus tells stories about himself, normally prefaced with the words, the Son of Man. When the Son of Man returns, this will happen, and Jesus would share something about that point in time. He doesn't tell a lot of stories about himself. He tells a lot of stories about the kingdom of God. 
And he gives examples, and he'll say, the kingdom of God is like a valuable pearl. The kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in the ground. It's like a mustard seed. And this intrigued the people that were listening. They could relate to those analogies, and they were drawn into the story. And Of course, we know that Jesus told parables, stories that he actually made up. He wrote in his own head for a specific purpose. He wanted the people to engage with the story, and he told stories about the Good Samaritan and the, and the uh, prodigal son and many more that we are familiar with. But every once in a while, not often, every once in a while, Jesus wanted somebody else's voice to be heard other than his own. He wanted somebody else's experience to be recounted for a specific purpose. And in those instances, Jesus gladly handed the microphone off to somebody else and let them tell their story. That is the case in the passage that we're going to consider today from Luke chapter 8. The passage starts in verse 40, goes through 56. I'm going to read only the first verse, verse 40, then I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to read the rest of the passage. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we know you're here this morning. We've worshiped together. We know you've been here before anybody unlocked the door today. And we want to meet you. And we are here expecting something from you. And God, I acknowledge that every sister and brother of mine in this place here today comes from a different place, comes carrying different baggage, different needs today, but you are here to meet with us. And so God, we expectantly open ourselves to your word today, your truth today. May that be the message that is heard. May your name be lifted up today. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So continuing in the passage, Jesus, by the way, he and his disciples had crossed the Sea of Galilee, had a near-death experience on the way, and the disciples learned a whole lot more about who Jesus was. He'd healed a man who Luke says was possessed with demons, and then they returned back to Galilee, and this is where the story picks up as Jesus returned. Verse 41, there was a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. 
When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But as he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of God for us today. In this passage, we see three distinct scenes, and each one of them is prefaced by an interruption. As you look at the passage as a whole, it feels chaotic. What is going on here? Jesus is with a crowd of people. They're doing this, and then something happens, and they do that, and then something else happens, and they move over this way. And Jesus is responding to these interruptions that keep happening. The first one is right away in verse 41 when Jesus and his followers were welcomed by the crowd, and Luke tells us that a man named Jairus comes forward and falls at the feet of of Jesus pleading for his sick daughter's life. Luke doesn't record any verbal response from Jesus, but he records in the next verse that Jesus and the crowd head off with Jairus towards his house. We can imagine that Jairus is feeling pretty good right now. Plan A is in place. Jesus is coming to his house to see his daughter. He's feeling pretty good, but that's about to change because we immediately go into scene number two. Because as they're proceeding towards Jairus' house in verse 45, we find that Jesus stops. Stops the whole procession. The entourage doesn't move anymore. He stops and asks a question, who touched me? Now, Luke tells us that everybody denied it. What's me, Jesus? Don't, don't look at me. I didn't do it. Peter says, Jesus, um, come on. We're getting crushed here. Everybody's touching everybody. How can you ask who touched you? Jesus won't have it. We're not going anywhere. Jesus says, I know someone touched me because I felt power go out from me. And now we have the second interruption that happens. And this interruption is this woman who comes forward in front of Jesus and the crowd at this point. Now, Jairus had approached Jesus in a state of desperation, but he approached Jesus front on, full forward attack here in front of everybody, fell at his feet, makes this public plea for Jesus to come and help. This woman takes the exact opposite strategy. We are told that she sneaks up behind Jesus, head down, not wanting to be noticed, keep out of view, under the radar screen, equally desperate, but trying very hard not to be an interruption to Jesus. Now, this is one of those cases where Jesus could have chosen to just keep right on walking. He could have. He knew somebody had been healed. He'd been touched. He knew who it was. And he could have just, with a little smile on his face, thought, yeah, one more healed and kept right on walking. Sometimes Jesus healed people, and then he said to them, don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. But not in this case. This case, Jesus stopped, and he demanded an answer to his question, who touched me? 
In verse 47, Luke records for us in the passage, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, unnoticed, that was her M.O. Stay out of sight. Don't let anybody know that I'm even here. A stealth approach. When seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at the feet of Jesus. Second person to fall at the feet of Jesus in this passage. This woman isn't like shouting out loud what's going on like Jairus did. She is trembling and silent at the feet of Jesus. Church, we have to picture this. This is worst case scenario for this woman. You can't make up a more uncomfortable situation for her. She wanted no attention, no notoriety whatsoever, and now every eye is upon her as she is trembling at the feet of Jesus. This was the very thing she had worked hard to avoid, but it's about to get worse for her. Because in verse 47, Luke goes on to say that in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. In the presence of all the people, in this very public setting, she tells her story. Now, I wanted to make sure that these, no, these facts were still accurate, so I looked it up as I prepared this message. But when people are asked, what are their greatest fears, list your top three fears. Number one on the list is still speaking in public. Number two is death. I found it on the internet. It must be true, right? People are terrified of speaking in public. Many people would say, no, I'd rather die than speak in public. And now this woman is compelled to do the very thing she didn't want to do. Luke records this interchange here in chapter 8. Mark records it in chapter 5. If we take the two accounts and put them together, what we find is a rather complete picture of the story that this woman tells in this very public setting. We've already seen that she is trembling as she sits at the feet of Jesus. And if the crowd had not gone silent yet, we can well imagine that they went completely silent when she started her story by saying, I have been bleeding. Everybody takes a step back. If this woman has been bleeding, she's not supposed to be out in public. If she's been bleeding, nobody's supposed to be in contact with her. Did she bump me? Did she touch me when she came by? Everybody steps back when they find out this woman has been bleeding. And this isn't bleeding like a scratch on the arm. This is a very personal, private, intimate type of bleeding that you don't talk about in good company. But then she says, I've been bleeding for 12 years. I can only imagine every woman in the crowd going, 12 years. She says, I have suffered greatly. I have no money. I spent it all on doctor bills. No one has been able to help me. I kept getting worse. I heard about Jesus. I searched for him. I snuck up behind him. I thought if I only touched his clothes, I would be healed. And here she confesses her sin. I touched him. 
was a Jewish woman who was bleeding. She had no business touching anybody. And she confesses that she touched him. Immediately, she says, my bleeding stopped. I felt in my body that I was freed from my suffering. Now, I don't know how you respond to that picture. If you put yourself in the crowd and you're watching this unfold and you're seeing the, 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 the rabbi refuse to move and this woman in your trembling voice telling her story publicly at his feet, I don't know how you respond to that, but as I've read this passage, it offends me. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Because it, at best, it feels very insensitive to essentially force this woman to disclose in public what maybe she would have whispered to her sister or her mother or perhaps a doctor, but never in public and never in front of any males. At best, it seems insensitive. At worst, it seems like she's being bullied by Jesus. Jesus is the male in a male-dominated society. Jesus is the respected rabbi that everybody looks up to. Jesus is the one with all the power and all the privilege in that situation. And he forces her, essentially, to tell what she never would have chosen to tell voluntarily. If there was ever a person that Jesus should have just let slip away quietly, don't tell anybody. Just go. Just go, enjoy being healed. This was the woman. But Jesus does the exact opposite. And I think we have to ask ourselves, why? What's going, what's going on here that Jesus would put this woman through this? And I believe there's two answers. There may be more. Some of you are smarter than me. Look at the passage, see what you can find. But I found two. The first one is simply this. Jesus knew that there was at least one person in the crowd that day that needed a very public testimony of the implications of faith in God. Probably more, but there was at least one in that crowd. There was one who needed somebody to tell their faith story, a story that starts with hopelessness, that includes some intervention, a rescue, and leads to restoration. Jesus needed a testimony that day from somebody in the crowd. Why? Because Jesus knew that in a minute, Jairus was going to receive the worst possible news in his entire life. That in a minute, Jairus was going to be desperate for this woman's story. Not just the words of Jesus, but this woman's Story. I think the second reason that Jesus put this woman through what seems almost abusive is that Jesus knew that telling her story was an integral part of her healing. Don't miss that. Yes, she'd been physically healed. She's given testimony to that already. I touched him and I felt my bleeding stopped. I am healed. Yes, physical healing. But her mental, emotional, and relational healing needed some attention. And Jesus knew that by telling her story, she was taking a giant step forward towards a complete healing. 
When she had finished telling her story, verse 48, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He's telling her two things, that her faith had healed her, and then he told her to go in peace. I believed, I believed that her exercise of that faith when she touched Jesus resulted in her physical healing. And I believe that the telling of her story led to her peace. She could have gone away healed that day, but still lived in isolation, still lived her life under the radar screen. I don't want anybody to ever know what happened to me for 12 years. I just want to blend in. I want to be the gray person. Telling her story, I believe, led her to peace because her story was now out of the shadows. She didn't have to hide it. She didn't have anything to hide anymore. She didn't have to live in isolation anymore. And when her story was shared publicly with this community, it's like, well, everybody knows. I don't have to hide it anymore. It's my reality. It's my past. But it's behind me because Jesus healed me. A shift has occurred. What before was for her shame was now for God's glory. She was healed. She had peace. A year and a half ago, a young man approached me after our Wednesday night uh, prayer and worship service at our church. I'd never spoken to him before. I'd seen him in church some on Sundays. He always sat in the back row, and he always sat by himself, and he always left as soon as the service was over. I'd never shared a word with him. He came up to me after the Wednesday service. I was just attending that night. I wasn't leading. I was just sitting there. He came up to me, and he says, Pastor Kevin, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. You want to step in my office? Yeah, yeah. Can we go in your office? Okay. So I went in the office, shut the door. And for the next two-plus hours, he poured out his story. I mean, he told me, 90% of everything. The other 10% I learned from him in the coming weeks and months. And as I listen to his story, these are the thoughts that are going through my mind. Number one, why are you still alive? I don't get that part. And number two, why are you not in jail? And he said to me, I've never, I've never told anybody some of this stuff before. And he'd share something. I've never, I've never shared that with anybody before. When he left my office that night, his shoulders were much more relaxed than when he walked in. When he left my office that night, there was some hope on his face in his eyes. God was at work. That was undeniable. We started meeting on a weekly basis, and the other 5 to 10% came out, as he shared with me. He started to integrate into the life of the church a little bit more. He started to trust people. He joined a small group. And then he said, I realized that I could never really be a part of this small group unless they knew my story. So I decided I was going to tell them my story. I said, okay, man, you go for it. <laughs> and he did, and he shared his story with them, and that created a bond between them. And I will tell you that right now, 18 months later, this young man has experienced peace that he never thought was possible. God has brought healing to his life, to his body, to his mind, to his emotions, but through the sharing of his story among God's people and not being rejected because of it, he is now living in a peace that he never even imagined was possible. The third scene, the third interruption, verse 49. 
Luke says to us, while Jesus was still speaking, this is really interesting to me, because Jesus is speaking to the woman and he's saying, your faith has healed you, go in peace, and somebody interrupts him. Mid-sentence, somebody interrupts Jesus. And I look at that and I say, I want to know what Jesus would have said if he hadn't been interrupted. I want Jesus to finish the sentence. But we don't have that luxury because somebody comes from the house of Jairus, a trusted person, a family member, a trusted servant, a close friend, we don't know. But an individual came, well known to Jairus, and I imagine this person putting their hand on Jairus' shoulder and saying, Jairus, it's over. She's dead. She, she just passed an hour ago. The, leave the teacher alone. There's nothing else he can do. Let, let's go home. We, we've got to start making the arrangements. Your wife needs you, Jairus. Come on, let's go. Jesus immediately, in verse 50, turns to Jairus and he says three things. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe she will be healed. And I can imagine Jesus looking at Jairus, and as he says those three things in between each of the statements, he quickly glances down at the woman at his feet. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid. He looks at her. Just believe. He looks at her. She will be healed. He glances down at her. And I think the unspoken message that Jesus is giving Jairus at that point in time is simply this. Jairus, what did you just observe with this woman? Jairus, what did you just hear from her lips? Jairus, what did you hear me just tell her was at the heart of her healing? Faith in God. Faith in God. Jairus has just become the man in the middle. To his left, his trusted friend, his relative, the one who brought truth to him about his daughter's condition, the reality, the pragmatist. This is, this is the new normal. Jairus, act on it. And on his right, the rabbi, who is saying to him, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. He's torn. I can just imagine the tears are coming down Jairus' face, given the news he's heard. I can imagine him through his tears turning and looking at the messenger who's never lied to him before, but then turning his eyes to Jesus, who's promising something completely different than anything he could even have imagined. And then I imagine him looking down at the feet of Jesus through his tear-stained eyes, this woman looks back at him into his pain-filled eyes with a hopeful and expectant look. She doesn't smile, because you don't smile when somebody just got news like he did, but I believe she just nods her head as she looks at Jairus. This is where Jesus was taking Jairus to the point where he needed to make this woman's faith his own faith, where he needed to hear her story and apply it to his situation. And in verse 51, we're told that between Jesus' words and the testimony of this woman here that Jairus moves forward in faith, 
towards his house with Jesus. He doesn't give up. He still has the faith, and he acts on it. And Luke then tells us that the best possible ending to Jairus' story happens. They get there, and his daughter was indeed restored to life. Jesus, the master teacher, the master storyteller, was fully aware of the power of a story. And he utilized stories in various forms, but when somebody else's story was what was most appropriate in a given situation, Jesus did not hesitate to compel that person to tell their story for their own good and for the good of those who were listening. So here's four quick takeaways from this passage. The first one is that ultimately our stories do not belong to us. God is the one who's writing his story on our lives, even as he was with Jairus and with this woman, and God expects us to be good stewards of those stories. He wants us to manage those stories. He doesn't want us to hold on to them and keep them hidden because there's people who need our stories and we need to tell our stories. Number two, our stories should never make us look great. Our stories should reveal God's greatness. Um, Luke chapter 8, 39, I think we've got that to put up on the screen there. This is the verse immediately prior to this passage when Jesus had healed this man who was demon-possessed. The man wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, No, you return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Look at that verse. Who's great in that verse? Is it the man who was healed? No way. It's, 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 It's all God. It's all God. And Jesus says, you go tell how much God has done for you. And this man went all over town and did exactly what Jesus said. Our stories shouldn't make us look great. They should make God look great. Third, good stewards will be generous with their stories. Just like we're called to be generous with our time, our talents, and our resources, we are to be generous with our stories if we're going to be the stewards that God wants us to be, even when they reveal what we would prefer to keep in the shadows. We need to be generous. And finally, telling our stories will most often be a significant part of our own healing and our own spiritual growth. When we let them out of the shadows, bring them into the light, We don't have to worry about them any longer. We don't have to try to hide them any longer. Now, your pastor was actually very generous with me. He said, uh, said, Kevin, you can have like up to 40 minutes for this message this morning, and I've used up 30 of those minutes already. And what I'm going to do right now may be a little different, but hey, this is uh, Labor Day weekend, right? We can can change it up just a little bit. Um, I'm going to give you like five or seven minutes, and here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get like in groups of three, you can just kind of turn around or whatever, do whatever's comfortable. And I want you to talk a little bit about stories. I'm gonna direct you here. I don't want you to tell your stories to each other because you're not gonna have enough time, but I'm hoping that maybe even as you interact, that somebody will say, hey, I'd like to get together with you again. I'd like to hear more of that or let's, let's talk over coffee or something. But here's, the, here's what can give you a little guidance here. Um, these questions might help you. Have you ever experienced the peace that comes from telling your story? 
Okay, if that's your case, share that with the people that you're talking with there. The second one, have you benefited from hearing somebody else's story? Share that with the other people you're with. Have you blessed someone else by listening to their story? And finally, are you stewarding your stories well? Those are going to stay on the screen while you guys get together and talk a little bit. If you're visiting here today and this is not your home church and stuff, uh, don't worry. You don't have to say anything. I'd love it if you got in a group and listened to some other people. That'd be kind of cool. But otherwise, you guys know each other. So move around. Do what you need to. I want to hear some noise for the next five to seven minutes. I will call you back together as you discuss these questions here. So it's yours now. Take your time with this and go.
I, uh, I hate to be the fourth interruption in this message, but I'm going to interrupt you and call you back to order here. I'm proud of you guys. Thank you for whatever work you just did there, but don't, don't let it end there because I believe that in a congregation like this, uh, there are uh, probably several gyruses in the crowd right now, people who are really desperate to hear somebody's story, some, a story that will give them hope in the situation that they're in. Maybe you discovered something like that as you were chatting. Uh, please follow through. Don't, don't let that go. But I also believe in a group this size, and this probably applies to all of us, that, that there's a bunch of us that have experienced healing. We've experienced transformation. Uh, we know what it's like, what this woman went through to a degree. Maybe not with a physical condition like hers, but maybe with an emotional or spiritual condition. We need to be generous with those stories. They're powerful. And we're surrounded by people that need to hear them. So let me encourage you uh, to continue that way as a congregation. I'm going to close us now in prayer. And, uh, but just encouraging you to please don't let the conversation stop. Uh, God, once again, we just want to say thank you for meeting us in the pages of your word. Uh, we thank you, God, for the stories that that we hear and, and, and read and understand there, but we thank you also, God, for the stories that you're writing on our lives. I pray that we would realize that they're not stories that belong to us. They're stories that belong to you. They're there by design, and they're part of this thing called the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us as members of that kingdom would be willing to be courageous and generous at the same time with the stories you're writing on our lives, that you may be lifted high, that your people might be encouraged and healed, and that we who tell those stories might experience the peace that you have for us in them. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Amen. Come on and rest on your feet. As you begin to share your